Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. This is episode 901. Goodness gracious. We've got a great special guest. We've got Melissa Love, the founder of the Design Space and the Style Cloud. Um, Melissa's been building business in the WordPress space for a number of years. We're going to be talking about how you can find your niche in the WordPress space, um, how you can build an effective business in that space, um, some of the mistakes that Melissa has made so she can share with you so you don't have to make them. So, Melissa, do you think you can just give us a quick 10, 20-second intro about yourself before we go into the main part of the interview? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I'm Melissa. I have been in the WordPress space for about 15 years. Um, I've done everything from uh, building websites for other people to um, owning plugins, and now I'm getting right into the SaaS market. Um, My background is in graphic design, so I'm a self-taught web designer, getting hope to self-taught web designers everywhere, I hope. And um, yeah, I live in I live in the UK, um, in Cornwall, which is a very southwest part of the country, with my family. That's great, and I've got my great co-host Kurt. Kurt, do you want to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, my name is Kurt Von Onen. Uh, I work directly with the great folks at Lifter LMS and WP Tonic, as well as owning my own agency, Manana Nomas. That's fantastic. So before we go into the main meat and potatoes of this great interview, I've got a couple of messages from our major sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments. See you soon. Tired of hosting providers that can't handle high traffic loads? Convesio is here to help. Our platform can handle any amount of traffic, all without slowdown or crashing. With immediate Slack support, performance optimization and a team that thrives on resolving technical challenges your e-commerce business is in safe hands learn more about Convesio at Convesio.com are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging sensei lms by automatic is the original wordpress solution for creating and selling online courses Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. We're coming back, folks. I just want to point out, we've got a new sponsor tribe. We've got Omisen coming back. And they're going to be sponsoring the show for about six to 12 months. Um, I want to say, Omer Send, what do they do? They provide a great SMS email service, specializing in e-commerce, woo, but not solely in that. Every $72 spent on text and email, uh, every one, sorry, every $1 spent. Um, you seem to get a $72 return. That sounds fantastic. They've got a great special offer. You can find that plus the other sponsors. Um, they also have offers plus a curated list of the best WordPress plugins and services. 
You can find all these goodies by going over to wp-tonic.com slash deals, wp-tonic.com slash deals, and you'll find the new only send offer. I think they're offering 30% off for the first three months and pre-migrations as well. You'll find all the details on that particular page. So let's go straight into this great interview. So, Melissa, um, you gave a quick interview. So how did you initially get into web design and then what led you into the world of WordPress? Well, I actually grew up with graphic designer parents, but back in those days, there was no such thing as graphic design. They were My mum was a typesetter and my dad was a paste-up artist, so literally in our spare room, they would have like little golf ball fonts and my dad would cut it all up and stick it to a board, then they'd take it down to the print shop and have it blown up into a plate. Oh, it sounds such fun, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was never allowed to touch anything in the office. I did get kind of put to work at quite an early age. How did, as a child, how did you ever resist that, Melissa, or did you not? Oh, well, I was just, we were just did, weren't given a choice. I think about 12 years old, I was sat down and I was like, right, we need a hand and you're going to get involved. So I was kind of brought up, you know, I can recognise the size of a typeface from about 50 paces. It was a good... It's a really good grounding in graphic design, but obviously it looked like really hard work. They won't mind me saying, but the work they did was really boring, like big medical catalogs. And I was like, yeah, bye, I'm leaving home. I'm never going to do that in my spare bedroom. And then, of course, you know, I went and did everything but that. And then I found myself with two young kids, didn't want to go back out and work in my former career, which is working in hotels and hospitality and travel. I couldn't do that. So I was like, what shall I do? Oh, I might just dust off those graphic design skills. And start doing that. So I did a crazy thing. I started a magazine, which was one of those freebies that you put through people's letterboxes and you pay for it by ads. I kind of pounded the streets and actually it was really pretty successful. And um, I built myself a website and I built it with, I'm a bit embarrassed to tell you this, but I built it with Moonfruit. Do you remember that? No. It's like... Uh, that's, that's a builder or whatever it is that hasn't come across my radar. Oh my God. It's a bit like Wix before Wix. In, was Wix, uh, Wixbury bought them, I don't know. So, um, yeah, so I kind of was flogging, ev- flogging these ads for like £30 a go. And then, you know, someone said to me, I really love the website you've built for the magazine. Could you build me one? And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, how much do you charge? I was like, well, it's quite a lot of money. It's £299. And I was like, they're never going to go for it. That's crazy money. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. So I kind of started building these terrible websites. No, they weren't terrible. They looked good. They just were made of that terrible platform. And then WordPress came along. I remember standing in my publisher's office and he said, have you heard of this WordPress thing? And I was like, no, what's this? And so I went and he said, that's what all the proper website people are using. And I was like, really? God, I better become a proper website person. So I, and back then you, you, you had to build a database. You had to download WordPress from .org. You had to upload it manually. I was like, oh, this is really not the same as Wix. But I persevered, and anyway, here we are, <laughs> all these years later. So that's how I got into it, kind of by accident, really. Right. Sounds an interesting path. I have to find, is this is this particular page builder platform, is it still in existence, or is it long gone? It might be, you know. I mean, it, it still was a few years ago, the last time I looked. Um uh, so uh, that, you pick, you've picked my curiosity now. I guess I'm going to have a look after we've finished talking. Yeah, well, there we go. That is my job. Over to you, Kurt. Melissa just gave me really fond memories of one of my first corporate jobs, and that was working at the Prudential. 
insurance company where they used to make the catalogs with cut and paste and they these really cool high-tech printers that had colored markers in them that would mm. zip around and draw things on paper. And uh, it's amazing to think of how far we've all come so quickly, so quickly. Yeah, I mean, my parents before, they used, Macs weren't invented. They were using something called a Quadratech and you could type code in. You couldn't see what it would output. You could just type code into it and it, it would output a form. So it was very mathematical. And my mum was brilliant at this thing. And I remember going along to a showroom with my parents. To look, we were going to get a new one. We could eat, and it was the size of a house. So we could either get a slightly smaller version of it or this new thing called a Mac. And we all went, ooh. And my dad, the, us of the immortal words, he said, oh, that, oh, those Macs, you know, how can you just trust something where you're waggling like a mouse around on a screen? That'll never catch on. So we spent, I'm not kidding, we spent $64,000 on the replace, on the upgrade, and the Mac would have been $3,000. And two years later, we just went and threw it, threw it away at the tip. Yep, yep. I remember those days. I remember throwing stuff away. It was so weird. Anyway, um, I digress. Uh, what, what, What are your thoughts? Talking about newer technology now, what are your thoughts on like, the page builders. I know that you're active in in Cadence now. We just we just helped a client that has one of your Cadence products, and then um and and you're famous in the lifter space for your work with Divi. So so what are your thoughts connected to the future of page builders versus Gutenberg versus the rest of the ecosystem? Well, I'm I'm not you know I started off when WordPress was really hard and involved lots of coding, and then a page builder came, or you had to choose a theme and try and adapt it. And then when um Divi came along, I was like, what is this magical tool? It's amazing. You know, and obviously loads of other people thought that. And I, you know, I, I we were the first people to ever sell any third party product for Divi. I was like all in with it for years and years. And I, you know, I still am a really proud supporter of Divi. Don't, don't get me wrong, but definitely for the last two or three years, I've been kind of a little bit putting my head in the sand, like, oh, I'm sure the Gutenberg's never going to be as good as a page builder and slightly ignoring it. And then I just couldn't ignore it anymore. I bought a Cadence Lifetime license. I started playing around with it. I was like, damn, this is good. This is like WordPress has come a long, long way. It's time to really, and the more I played with it, the more I thought this has got to be the future. And I bet it's giving a few page builder owners some very sleepless nights wondering how they're going to, integrate or fully integrate what they're doing with blocks? Because I I think they have to. Yeah, you know, on a personal note, I too kind of put off when when Gutenberg first came out in the blocks, it was kind of like people like classic editor, try that, try Elementor, try try Divi. I'll do do the Jonathan, try Divi. Um, But I'm out out of each other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Both Jonathan and myself, you know, have, have dove in with the cadence and the cadence pro and the cadence blocks. And, and then once you click that magical tab that everyone seems to ignore that says patterns on it, it's like things explode and you go, Oh, there's all these opportunities and, and everything gets kind of fast and easy. But I think there's still a learning curve with that. How would you compare the learning curve with, with going from a, a page builder to the Gutenberg? Do you think it's more difficult or same, same? Do you know what I think is more difficult? People are used to being in the block environment now because even if they're using a page builder, hopefully they're still using the block builder for their blog posts. If they're not, they're going to run into trouble at some point. But um, I think the problem, the thing I see most often, because we've 
dealt with thousands of new users in the last six months is that people don't quite know where something like cadence and enhancement to the block builder begins and the native WordPress features end. So for example, your row width, it's kind of controlled by WordPress, but cadence gives it some extra things. The, the pop-up tool tip on any kind of block gets enhanced, but really it's WordPress powered. Then you've got your editing panel on the right-hand side. I think the integration is difficult to see what's core WordPress and what's not for a, for a beginner who's not super familiar with the, the native block builder, like how do I, how do I use the navigation panel? How do, like some of those things are hard to find when you first get into the block builder. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked with some clients where I sign into their site and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, you can just adjust that right over. Hey, where are your buttons at? <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. with they don't have spectra or cadence blocks or, or something else added. And mm-hmm. so that it's, it's just missing. Right. And so, yeah, I can see that. Jonathan, I'll, I'll kick over to you. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, and they say, so would you say that, I don't know what the position is, obviously you, you're developing niche products in the cadence market, but it sounds like you've got established in the Divi world. It's a world that I've known a, a few entrepreneurs have established really great businesses, but it's a, it's a world that I never really established any presence in. So, did it really have to take some thinking? Because I know the Divi have been talking about they're they're in a transitional period themselves where they're moving away uh, and moving into the world of Gutenberg-based blocks. It looks like what they've outlined is that they're going to be doing in some ways something similar to Cadence. So, did it take you... Did you really have to think about that? It seems like you're kind of really moving big in the cadence world to some extent. Or are you going to also just, you're just watching what's happening with Divi and you also be producing some products in the Divi world? That's such a good question. To be honest with you, my niche is not builder-led. My niche is the niche I'm in, which is mostly serving photographers. Um, I've been in that niche for a really long time. I have broadened it slightly over the last five years, building Divi products. But if you look at our design space website, we actually issue all of our themes in Elemental, Divi, and Cadence. So we're about giving phot- photographers their tool of choice to get a beautiful website. So funnily enough, our new offering, which is a kind of suite of themes and a big cloud-based library of sections and layouts in StarCloud, we actually build that for ourselves as an agency. You know, one night I was like, why am I building this same page again? But, you know, it's a custom build, so I shouldn't really use a template. And I was like, this is insane building like a two-column two layout. I should just have all this stripped down to, and this really neutral library of things I can just drop in. So that's, I built it for us, for us as a team. And then I thought, actually, this is pretty good. We should see if any other web designers want to use this. And then kind of all my photography audience just really wanted to, to jump into it too. So we've made it much more photographer-friendly. So for me, I'm driven by my niche and uh, the audience I serve rather than which tool, which means I am open to using new tools all the time. And for a lot of photographers who are coming to us from other themes that aren't page buildery, they really do want you know the block experience because that's where the reputation is for speed and SEO friendliness, and we have to meet that demand. So I had to... I, I gave everything a proper good audition, Spectra, 
breaks everything. I was like, I've probably owned more lifetime licenses than is healthy, so I could try everything out. And then I just really liked Cadence. I really liked the team. I really liked what they stand yeah. for. And I really liked their view on when they're going to go to full site editing. I just kind of felt like it was the right place for me to make a bit of a home. Just like yeah. I felt that with Divi. I had a personal friendship or connection with Nick Roach at the very beginning. I feel like I know the team at Cadence really well and I'm really yeah. well supported. So that, that's what it, it, for me, it came down to that instinct. Like, that's why I went with Lifter because I just thought what Chris and his team were doing was outstanding. Like, I, I felt like I do know him. I do know, like, he, I, he was so present in his brand. It's lovely to feel you know the founder. And, and so I, I guess I was looking for an, more people like that. Yeah, certainly Nick, um, I've spoken to him a couple of times and he's a very impressive individual and entrepreneur. And Ben from Cadence, I've interviewed him a couple of times. Um, he seems a fabulous developer and he, he also has that, um, also that ability of knowing where the market is going. And he seems to have a, a real roadmap in his own mind where he's taken Cadence. Um, over to you, Kurt. Well, Melissa, you mentioned the, the photography niche. How would you give advice or talk to designers on identifying their niche or finding their best opportunity or expanding that opportunity? Well, I'm, I am the niche queen for sure. Um, you don't, I think the thing that people worry about with niching is that you're going to turn a lot of people away, but you don't have to have one niche. What all you have to do is have the resources to go into a market and say, I'm literally the expert, which makes every going with someone else just too risky. You want them to think, I'd rather go with me because, you know, I know the photography industry inside out. I know all the labs. I know all the integrations. I know how to compress their images. I know what they need. So people are prepared to pay more to work with me than someone who isn't an expert, than someone who's just my friend's cousin who's a web designer. You know, so it's it's... But you don't have to do it for just one niche. All you need is a cracking landing page for each niche, a portfolio of, of projects you've worked on for that niche, and a fan and a great sales page, and you know, and familiarity with the systems they use and the integrations you need to stand out. And once you've mastered one niche, you can then dive into another. There's nothing, there's nothing stopping you from do that doing that. But I would say, you know, what you're looking for is a niche where you, these people easily found. So a lot of people come to me who I, I mentor quite a lot of web designers. They're like, I really want to get into coaching and wellness coach website market. And I'm like, good, but so does everyone else. But these people are actually quite hard to find that yes, they congregate in Facebook groups. They don't have many conferences they go to. Like I speak at photography conventions all around the world because thousands of photographers gather together in one place. So wherever thousands of photographers gather, you'll find me not far behind being involved in that so I think as long as you know you can access that niche physically sometimes and then you know it it's there for the taking and you know I, I we haven't got time today I'm sure but I've got lots lots of tips on how to um dominate a niche and how to put kind of get a foothold in a niche nice nice well as the queen of niches would you say that um you can build more than one niche at a time or do you think you Go into a niche, master that niche, and then expand. Um, 
I think it almost doesn't matter because it, it's, it's always, you know, if you're a one-man band like most people are, um, it's just how much time have you got to build landing pages and um, if you don't have enough projects to make you look like a specialist, you might need to build out some example sites, give yourself some practice projects and do that. So I, th- I think it's really how fast can you work? Like if you're someone who can churn out 10 portfolio pieces, um, you know, great, and build yourself multiple landing pages. You'll, But I think it does help if you kind of do have that kind of fairly spotlight focus on something. Because um, actually, if you try, you have to kind of live, you have to really do have to really be the expert. You can't just pretend like I literally do go to all the conventions and I, I'm a photo- I became a photographer my, myself from working with photographers. So you, you have to have a passion for that niche. Um, but it doesn't take long to get up to speed. We have a secret little other niche, which is working with um, kind of uh, boutique aesthetic clinics who do kind of facial aesthetics and stuff and, and what the wellness market in terms of medical, like home, um, home health testing. It's not something we advertise, but quietly we've developed a little niche for being the kind of um, medical wellness kind of marketing website experts. And that took us a little while to develop too. So it's something that developed on the side, but we've really dived into that market. We know what systems they use. We know how what integrations they want, how they use, what CRMs they use specifically for bookings in clinics and, you know, and what medical protocols you have to follow to keep their data safe. So if someone's talking that kind of language to you, instead of like, yeah, I can build you a really nice website because I've also built a website for a bakery, like they're going to go with the people who are talking their language. So, as you know, if you've got the time to put in to, to not just pretend to learn their industry, but really know it and understand it, then you know, it may, the, the decision making becomes no brainer. Like it's very rare we don't convert someone who approaches us because we talk their language. Wonderful, Jonathan. So um, you got into photography. I, you know, I'd imagine that you got into it like a lot of these conversations I've had with agencies owning this, so that you did some actual custom website work for photographers, and then you found. You like the clientele and you slowly moved into that niche. I'm just presuming this, but um, that's fine. But how, um, I'm not saying this is the stage now, but in those early days when you were developing this niche, how did actually, how did people actually, your clientele, your photographer clientele, how did they into your orbit? How did they enter your funnel, um, your marketing, your broader marketing funnel? Was it through just native SEO? You say you go to these conferences a lot as well, but what was some of the key drivers that enabled people to actually find your products and then um, you develop these conference conversations and they became clientele? Well, I'm... I had two very lucky, what I call fairy godmother moments. My best friend, <laughs> my best friend from university, came to stay one weekend, and she was a photographer. And she said, "My website is terrible," and it was terrible. And she said, "I paid someone five thousand dollars, which seemed like a crazy amount because I was charging like two hundred ninety nine dollars <laughs> to build it for me." And I said, "I think I I can do a better job than that." And I rebuilt it that weekend while she was there. And she was like, "This is crazy good. I'm on this photography course. I'm going to go and tell my friend." She said, right, I told my friend, you charge £2,000. I was like, oh, aren't you actually insane? Of course I don't. She's like, yes, you do. 
look at what I got for $5,000. And she said, that's fine. She thinks it's cheap. I was like, this is crazy. I said to my husband, oh my God. So I kind of built this website and they both went back to this course they were on and told the owner of the whole photography training school, you need to meet this person. So I met her and she said, I'd like you to come up and lecture at this lecture once, four times a year on this course, meet all the students, and we'll recommend you as the per- only person who should build a website. And um, at the same time, I got hired by one of the most famous photographers in the States. I built a site and a brand for them. They launched it live on Creative Live, the online TV channel. And it, it just, this all happened in the space of six months and everything went nuts. I had like a waiting list for the next three years. And I do appreciate that does not happen to most people. Oh, massive, <laughs> massive, lucky, lucky stroke. But, you know, um, I've then had, I then wanted to kind of launch templates and courses and that has been a really hard graft of, yes, I had an audience, but I might have been well known for building sites for photographers, but I had to pitch myself to speak at conferences. Then I had to build my list. Like when I first was going to do a course, um, I, had, I had a list of two people, which was me testing things and my mum having a go as well. Uh, so like I, I literally started with two subscribers and went from two to 2,000 in a year before I then launched my first. Can I interrupt then? So courses have also, obviously, WP Tonic, are, that's our bread and butter community website and building course, learn, you know, learning management systems. So you mentioned these courses. So obviously you need a bit of luck, but you've worked really hard and you've got the ability and the insight to capitalise on those lucky breaks because a lot of, you you need more than luck you need you need the insight and that and the be prepared to do the hard graft as well um so what you just mentioned these courses so so you mentioned it so i get the impression that building these so what what was these initial courses about so were they were they shown for some? Because I don't know much about photo- photography. I, I like it, but I have known photographers, and they seem to want to build their websites themselves. They, they are the, the few that um, I have, I wouldn't say worked with, but advised in that they're a little bit control freakish. Uh, um, um, but I don't know. It's just the ones that I've not exactly worked with, but advised. Um, so is, were these courses kind of showing photographers how to build their website or was it something broader? This? Um, it, no, it was exactly that. But I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a real listener. So I was building these websites and I, I did happily move from charging £299 to around the £5,000 mark. But when I was meeting photographers who were new to the industry, they're like, well, everyone said I need to work with you. So here's my money. I was like, do you know what? I don't think I should take your money. Like you shouldn't be spending 5K on a website at the beginning of your career because your style is going to change. Your brand will definitely change. You just need something simple to start with. You know, you've already spent five grand on camera gear. Let's not replicate that with your website. So I just just couldn't take their money. I just knew it wasn't the right time for them. But I did. I wanted a product that they could use. So I started building the templates and then, of course, you know, everyone's like, I love your templates, but I wish I knew how to use them properly and use WordPress. So I was like, mm, okay, so I'll do a course. Um, and that was the first time I used Lifter LMS. And that was when I really built my list and I really, and I invested in 
Facebook ads and I was running lead magnet ads and I, it was really successful. I did my launch. It was really successful. Um, and then people were like, well, I've, thank you for doing that course. I've built a lovely website, but how do I do marketing? I'm completely lost. And that's when I thought, mm, I need to build a membership, which is what the marketing fix is, which is again, all a big membership built with Lifter LMS. And again, I've, so I've had people kind of come along with me on the journey. A lot of the people in the membership I've known for 10 years since I started in the industry. Um, so it's very much been a organic journey, but really listening to what people need and kind of reacting accordingly. And that's why I'm now with a brand new product with StarCloud. It's like actually people, the way people are building websites is changing. You know, they want to be able to add pages on the fly. It used to be the web designer builds my website, then I don't touch it for five years because I might break something. So. I was like, people just working in a different way now. They used to be able to edit things more easily. Can, like the, I call it the Canva effect. People want things they can just drop in and build out quickly that aren't hard to use. So, Yeah, I totally agree um, with you there. Well, I, the um, first half of the show has gone quickly. Um, got some other great questions to ask Melissa. She's obviously a bit of an uh, entrepreneur animal. They're uh, very impressed with, uh, that's a London term, folks. That That's a compliment. That's not to say somebody's a bit of a handle. It means that they know what they're doing. So don't complain. I'm not being sexist there. So uh, um, <laughs> can't have that, can we, tribe? Uh, um, we're going for our middle break, folks. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS, the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to lifterlms.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code PODCAST20. That's PODCAST20. Enjoy the rest of your show. Coming back, folks, we've had a feast of knowledge from Melissa. Uh, um, she really is very impressive. She'll have to come back, hopefully, for another chat. Uh, um, before we go into the second half of this great interview, I just want to point out, if you've got a client that's building out a membership website or a community website on Buddy Boss, why don't you look at partnering with WP Tonic? We offer great hosting, but much, much more. A suite of plugins so you don't have to argue with the client, plus email marketing all integrated with the hosting platform. Plus, we have, we can hold your hand, advise your client and yourself if this sounds attractive, and it should do, why don't you go over to wp-tonic slash partners, wp-tonic slash partners, fill in the short form, we can have a chat, and we offer some great partnership deals. That should sound attractive, shouldn't it? So hopefully we can partner. On we go. I, I want to continue where we ended in the first half of the show, Melissa. Obviously, you, um, you developed this presence in the photography industry, but I think, and I'm only surmising this, but it's based on what I've observed. I would imagine you then had the encroachment of the 
mortal head monster of um, SAS. Um, you had the external competition trying to muscle in to something offering um, like in the um, membership um, area, we got Kajabi and we got Teachable. So obviously you had the landscape, WordPress compared to Joomla or, my God, Drupal. Um, obviously WordPress is much more appealing and you offered these templates and these solutions, but then you had the SASs encroaching. Um, first of all, Am I on the right track? And secondly, how did you deal with these sasses trying kind of muscling in with maybe VC backing like Kajabi in the um, the e-learning area? Is this making sense or am I waffling? No, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm lucky because I've kind of skirted around the edges. I make products that operate on top of other products. So... Um, I think Squarespace was quite disruptive in the photography market. Yes. There are now plenty of people making Squarespace templates. So from, I'm not saying it doesn't concern me because it's a, it's a huge interest, but whether you start with, it doesn't matter whether you're paying monthly, annually, or whether you buy a one-off thing, unless you buy a design to go over the top, you're pretty much starting with a blank page, whether it's Divi or Elemental, unless you either need to be a pretty good designer to make something look good or we need to find something to help you so I didn't really mind how people were paying for their base tool I would always be happy to make a product that worked with it that said I first like in the design space we sell themes for a one-off cost and photographers love that but Mm -hmm. it is changing so I then when I first started a membership that was my first foray not into SaaS but certainly into a membership model and that's been interesting to look at figures to get to grips with why you get churn and how to mitigate that and how you need to keep a membership alive. So that's been a really interesting. Yeah, it was interesting because you you seem to really be with the courses. You're offering the kind of WordPress solution, one-off price, like you say, but you're also offering the education and the knowledge in a price point that, um, your photographers can afford that goes that step further and tells them how they can market and they can utilize this great digital resource in a way that can help them. Yeah. Maybe that some of the sasses can't, haven't been able to do that so effectively or. Well, yeah, I think if you are, say, Squarespace and you're going to venture into the education world, um, you're going to need a department of people to do it well. Like you get to the point where you can't mm. just have someone just winging it, like some random member of your team winging it. You need a proper strategy and then that, you need an old team. And I have, within the photography industry, we have had bigger companies like um, a good example would be um, Honeybook bought a community off Facebook, um, Shootproof bought Cole's Classroom. They've then sold it back. So that I have seen people making a foray into trying to buy an existing educator or educator's audience. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So it's hard when you're operating a big company to, you need a leader to lead the education offering and be passionate about it. And it's obviously very easy for me to be passionate about my own business, but you know, I, I think it's hard for a big brand to have that nurturing feel. 
So, yeah, you talked about Squarespace, but what are some of the one or two more focused? Are there one or are there some SaaS competitors that are really focusing providing a web solution, an integrated marketing solution in the photography industry? There are some non-WordPress ones. So I so pick, pick time has like a little mini funnel upsell, downsell built in there. Um, and there are things like Queensbury Albums and Pixie Set, which have, you also have a cart added so you can sell prints and things like that. But um, probably th- there isn't anyone kind of, I mean, I just don't think big companies can offer that nurturing environment very well. There's one company who I love called Show It, who are very uh, quite photography specific. They are a drag and drop. Like imagine if you had Canva or Wix, but it's much more advanced than that. And they integrate WordPress in, they integrate a WordPress blog into what they do. They are a wonderful company. They care about their people. Uh, you know, they've flown me over to to be go onto their ranch and go to their head office before. I've known them all since the beginning of whenever. So they do a really good job. But I'm I'm pushed to think of any kind of SaaS brands where people feel a real connection with. And um, we're we're now kind of it's interesting. We are now with our new product with Style Club. We are competing with Squarespace, and we are competing directly with Show It because we just happen to be using Cadence to power what we do. But that's we're going really the extra mile on our customer service and our education. And, you know, we're, it's the, for me, I can only, I think that's the point of difference. Yeah. So handing your money over to the SAS or handing your money over to Melissa and her team on a monthly or annual basis, it, I think that softens the blow when you know who you're dealing with. Yes. Before I throw it over to Kurt, you mentioned going to all these conferences. So is um, now having your digital marketing side, but going to these physical conferences in the photography space, how important is this in your own mind as a pillar of your marketing outreach? Well, it's interesting. It used to be absolutely crucial. And then along came COVID and photographers sat at home for two years, like many people, but obviously their their, their source of income was was all cancelled. And then, then it all bundled like lower thousands, hundreds of thousands of people didn't get married, then they all got married in one year. So photographers had a really hard time because I don't know if you know, but most photographers take a substantial deposit up front and then and then the whole amount before the day. So they had a whole year where they were working like crazy people without a lot of revenue for it. They already had that money and spent it during COVID time. So it was a really, really hard time for photographers. And there wasn't a lot of money left over for going to conventions and workshops. Um, and actually people selling online courses did well because that's what that was an affordable price point to continue their education and be part of a community. But now I'd say this year for the first time, or maybe last year, I'm seeing excitement again about people really getting together. People are a little bit back, more back on their feet. And I think it's going to go back to how it was to some extent. We've got, the, I've, I've seen lots of kind of user figures or attendee figures. So there's definitely a bounce back happening, which I think is fantastic. But um, like I say, how before COVID, how important was going to these conferences in a kind of driver to your business? Did you see a direct linkage or is it more indirect of kind of building your expertise and how more of a pos- positioning um, 
driver than a direct driver to the bottom line, if you know what I mean. I think if it, it's more, depends on which, what stage you're at. I, before COVID, I would strategically pick conferences who are my exact target market and just maintain a presence there through like a minor sponsorship or a stand or speaking at speaking. So um, I just felt like I would cherry pick and go to three or four events. I used to do the really big conventions and have a big stand and stuff. But once we became more established online and our reputation was more and our SEO was kind of more of a cornerstone of what we were doing, it became less important to kind of go to the big conventions. So I now kind of cherry pick the smaller ones and have representation uh, where people are, you know, because at the big ones you get people who come along and it's, you know, someone who's a hobbyist photographer who's got a really big long set of photography lenses and he just wants to talk about photography all day. He's not in the market for a website like a lot of tire kickers. Whereas when I go to conventions where people are very serious, these smaller kind of boutique uh, workshops and gatherings where the tri- that, that tribe is our tribe, they're quite hip, they're quite young. That's what we want, that market where, you know, we want to be with people who are setting trends in the photography market and the kind of big conventions don't really do do it for us anymore. But we, we love, I love, I've got one in a few weeks, then I've got one in, in September. I, yeah, just, I love it when, when I do go. And you often just kind of also, you meet other speakers and you meet other suppliers and, you know, never underestimate the power of getting together with people. And, and having a presence, those kind of in-person conversations are wonderful. I mean, it's like that with WordCamp, isn't it? Yes. All right. Um, uh, Rob. <laughs> I said you're right, I put my foot in it. <laughs> Matt is who you're talking to, doesn't it? Uh, um, over to you, Kurt. Well, my question kind of takes us back in the other direction again. It's, um, you know, what would you think would be some of the you know, user experience design trends or, or things that might change or grow in 2024? Like, how do you see, just how do you see some of the trending that we see now and how do you see it evolving as we go? Um, I think that um, we're going to see, a cut. I think we're already seeing the resurgence of micro animations, kind of slightly more interactive websites. But I'm predicting that People are going to break out of grids. Um, there's a real desire to have, and it's the Canva effect. People are used to being able to create positions exactly where they want to, or to give the impression that they have done. So, I think you know the com- the the companies, the platforms that are going to win are ones which allow people more design freedom. I mean, isn't it funny? I remember saying to someone, "Oh, this Canva. I don't think I'll ever use that. I'm married to all my Adobe, like Photoshop, Illustrator." in design and then I'm literally I'm in and out of Canva all day the whole team uses it for almost everything apart from you know when we're properly designing brands or fig we do use Figma but you know for graphics and quick jobs it's become a real powerhouse it's a huge company huge turnover and they are a company with real heart actually I love their kind of state of Canva things their launches that they do so a female they're based in Australia yeah. aren't they a female I have asked her to come on the show. I'm still waiting for a reply. Uh, um, um, but she is a powerhouse, isn't she? Her, their technical founder. Um, they started it as students, actually. Um, I think she went to over 100 VCs before somebody actually invested in the company and the vision, actually. It's quite an amazing story, really. Yeah, um, and I think 
I think it has so much more influence than most people think it does. Like it really does have a lot of influence. It lives rent free in lots of people's minds and people might not think they rely on it, but they really do. And when you dig under the hood, the apps they've got integrated, the AI, even the deals they've done with font houses, with font foundries to have that range of fonts and with pexels and with, they're doing big deals. Like it's, it's super impressive. Yeah, yeah. From a personal perspective, and I tell my clients this, I'm not really ashamed of it. You got to be honest when you're, when you're not good at something. You know, I, I always looked at myself as being graphically handicapped. That's why when I started, started the agency, I brought on graphics people. They were the first people I talked to because if someone doesn't give me like the color palette and a cool logo, you know, if I have that stuff, I can make a wonderful website. But if you want me to develop from the beginning, it's really difficult. And Canva just opened up a whole world of, hey, this is this is easy. If I got the color palette and the logo, I can build and expand that concept really yeah. easily. Which which actually kind of infuriates me because it takes the it takes the professional out of it. You know, it, it's like you thought you really had an angle on something, and then you don't. Well, so I think you say that, and I, but I think it's a bit like AI, like. I think with Canva and some and tools like AI design, you can make an adequate thing. What you can't make is that extra missing X factor that would make somebody go, oh, this is amazing. It's just, you know, when people ask me if I'm worried about Canva or AI, I'm like, great, makes my life a lot easier, but I just threaten what I do. Yeah, I think I think what it helps to avoid, Melissa, is these awful, you know, if you are it depends how far you are up in the food chain, but when you, but it even happens on larger um, client projects. You'd be amazed. Oh, we don't want to spend any money on a logo. We don't, and this we've got this logo. My my um, niece um, knocked up for, um, and this is this is a hundred person organisation, and you've got the CEO's niece designed a logo. Um, and they want to use it. You'd be amazed. Um, you or whatever. Um, we still want to use our old logo, whatever. Um, you can just now knock up something and it's not the greatest, but it avoids having to get into these crazy conversations because sometimes they listen to you and sometimes they don't. I, would you agree with that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to agree straight away, Melissa. But obviously, I I was just, I was just. I thought you were talking to Kurt. Actually, sorry. So, so. Poor Kurt. He's used to barbaricness. Jonathan doesn't like to talk to me. No, (laughs) I do. That's not true. Uh, um, Let's move on to AI. So, um, I use a lot of it myself, Melissa. Um, Love it. But it's like a two-headed monster. I think there's, you know, obviously um, it's increasingly is going to be affecting various elements of business, graphic design, coding. It's obviously going to have an increasing element. But at the present moment, it's also a lot of marketing flannel out there. Um, I know Cadence are really pushing hard in the AI and I've got kind of mixed feelings. I totally understand why they're doing it and why Ben. 
I haven't played around with their latest AI solution. You can build, literally build a whole website. Um, I've just got mixed feelings about the whole thing. Where where do you start, stand about AI and where do you think it's going in the next 18 months, year, 18 months? I mean, I think it's like everything. You know, I remember when people, photographers stopped developing things and marking up in the darkroom and using Photoshop and everyone lost their minds about it. What, what, we can't tell what's real anymore because of Photoshop. So I just think it's the next iteration of that, you know, but saying that, I, you know, let's be polite to our AI overlords in case they take over the world. But I just, I see it as a tool in some areas. I dabble in other areas. I use it more extensively. Um, will, I, I don't, can, can um, website, web AI be programmed to produce really beautiful layouts? I don't know. I've played around with a few of them. There's ZipWP. I've played around with the Cadence one. It produces something that I call adequate, but people don't come to me for adequate. So I think if you're in the market of providing adequate designs where you are recycling generic themes or layouts, and because this is you are starting off on your web design journey, I think it will make... So I always think there's something like a WordPress AI, like Cadence. For your average user... They don't know about hosting and domains and installing WordPress and plugins and getting to even the point where you've got, you can generate the AI-generated version. You can get into that point terrifies a lot of people. So yeah, there's still a big barrier to, to entry that something like Squarespace doesn't have. So if Squarespace masters AI, I think we might all be in trouble. But, you know, if there's a call, I, I, I know that Jamie Marsland is talking a lot about barriers to entry for beginners on Twitter at the moment in the kind of WordPress space. And he's right, you know, WordPress has got a job to make things a lot easier. Like the onboarding of WordPress is still pretty clunky and pretty intimidating. The dashboard, the left menu, it's it's not cool if you are getting into the market. So so for many, I don't think most web designers are going to be in trouble, but I think it's going to enable the DIY market who aren't scared of getting into WordPress access to more tools. Will they produce something amazing and brilliant? Let's wait and see. I don't Well it's a difficult one because you can get a bit finicky about all this, can't you? But the reality is that I haven't been in Donkey's years, but theme forest I was somebody approached me and they got a theme and it's a page builder as well. I forgot the name of it though, Melissa. And they got like Quarter of a million sales on Theme Forest or something. I haven't even heard, heard of it. I wish I could remember. It came on my radar a couple of weeks ago. But that regularly happens, but I haven't been to Theme Forest in donkey's years, you know. But they're, they're still, I think their glory days have declined a bit, but they're still a substantial force, bigger force than I probably realise, really. So, um, so there's definitely a area in this. And I've got to be honest, I, I think that was this, um, every town, I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but, um, but every small town of any population size in North America has a kind of do-it-all graphic design individual that does logos, graphics for vans, does headers, you know, it does a lot of print, web design, yeah. and they work with a load. And I think 
that nick and if he knew that crowd really well and they positioned their product really to that generalist in every small town in north america that's yeah. that um and i think it was one of the big I might be totally wrong here, though, Melissa. I think it was one of the big drivers of Divi because mm. you know, the other end was studio press and you had to go into functions and it appealed to that kind of more code-orientated crowd, didn't it? You know, so I might be waffling there. Back over to you. Well, um, I'm going to leave it to Kurt, the last question. Uh, um, you can do it, Kurt. Oh my goodness. So I, I don't even have to ask if she knows who Doctor Who is, but um, let's suggest that like Doctor Who, you have your own TARDIS and you have your own time machine. You can go back to the beginning of your business journey. What advice do you give yourself? So it's such a good question. Um, well, I, my advice would be to don't worry about what people think of you, which was something I struggled with for quite a while. It doesn't, I know you might not think that now because I'm quite a confident person now, but you know, we're talking, we're 10 to 15 years on. So, um, I've kind of grown a bit more of a thick skin and find it easier to put myself out there. Um, and the second thing I think would be to just really listen to what your audience is telling you. They will tell you what products they want and, um, and, and don't sleep too long on developing products. If you're a service provider, like a web designer, don't think everything's all, already been invented the people who trust you want to buy your product so you know coming up with a product to supplement your income yeah this this and there's also a couple of things like i i didn't have confidence in myself to manage a big team of people i must have built thousands of websites and not a single one has ever gone on a care plan because i didn't i thought i don't really like hosting don't really like dealing with that you know i'm i'm massively sidestepped earning a lot of money if if all of those people had put them onto hosting and care plans. I'd have a substantial monthly income or more substantial than I have now. And so I think looking out for opportunities, what I didn't think was I didn't have the confidence I could find someone to take it off my hands or, you know, I just didn't feel confident taking someone on. It felt too risky. Um, so I, I would have, I wish I'd have been taken more risk and not dismissed other things um, earlier on. But, you know, we are where we are. Maybe if I'd done that, I wouldn't have had the time or the inclination to build the set of products and memberships I have now. So, you know, who, who knows? But, yeah, have a, listen to what people are telling you or you're already telling you and don't turn down opportunities. Nice. Nice. Well, Jonathan? Yeah, just got a quick follow-through question, but, you know... Um, you know, obviously, has there been an actual service kind of product plugin that you've done and you thought it was a really great idea? You got very, very enthusiastic about it and you did it and it, there was no response, just crickets. Um, and reflecting back on it, did you, did you work out what, you know, because obviously I, ju I can tell that you're quite instinctive um with good judgment but you know we all do something that we think the market's going to be really enthusiastic about and then you learn quick that there is it's ever happened to you and did you work out in your own mind why it fell flat a bit i can't think of anything that's like been a total disaster but 
It's when I've hurried the process and I haven't built an audience in that niche when I haven't got the results that I really want. It's always because I didn't put the time in to either segment the audience and send the message to the right people or to warm them up. Like it's, you know, you always, when I've been a bit slack on nurturing a particular niche and then I try and launch or sell something to them, they're like, eh, haven't heard from you for a while. What, you're just popping up and trying to sell me something? So I think, you know, that kind of nurturing of an audio that it well it I we coach a lot of businesses through the launch process we do funnel launch and funnel marketing for people as an agency and we see a lot of people and it's always when they they haven't been building and nurturing their audience so you know as long as people have that trust in that you're an expert and they feel like they know you because you've been demonstrating that expertise for some time and, and kind of showing up regularly then the marketing, the sale, the selling part becomes easy. So, yeah. So it's always when I take my eye off the ball and I don't communicate with a certain part of my audience about certain products, then I suddenly expect people to buy it. That the results just aren't as good. That's fantastic, Melissa. So, Melissa, really enjoyed the chat. Hopefully you'll come back later on in the year, maybe, for another one. Um, what's yeah. the best? Thanks. What's the best way for people to find out more about you and your company and the products? Um, the best thing, our, our kind of main website is the designspace.co. Um, but the, and come, but my, I have a Facebook group called, um, the Design Space Lounge. Um, I'm, that's, I'm in there all day long. So that's where I'm kind of chatting to people. Um, but come and find me on Facebook or, or Twitter. I love getting a DM and, you know, I'm easy to find. And Kirk, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and what you're up to, Kurt? Well, Jonathan, LinkedIn is still my jam. So I'm the only Kurt Von Onen on LinkedIn. When you find me, you know you got me. Hit the connect button and uh, we'll connect and go from there. And then, of course, anything Manana Nomas online leads to me. That's fantastic. And if you want to support the show, folks, why don't you join the Membership Machine Show Facebook group? We have a great group of people looking to build a membership community website plus a WordPress crowd. Love you to join join us there. Um, we will be back next week with another great, I think it's going to be our roundtable show next week. We've got some great guests, um, panellists. Should be a, a great discussion. Um, we'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group? And also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.